Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Deemer, alongside Jerwin Wolf is back uh, after a bit of a mini hiatus. Um, and by that, I mean we missed last week after I promised there would be an episode. Uh, just some unfortunate circumstances uh, now, but we're back now. Um, it's not all bad. The comeback ometer is back. Uh, the fan favorite segment that everybody loves that is back. Uh, but we're going to go through all our normal segments um, that we've had, we've been going through throughout the playoffs. And we also have some audio from Nick where he's going to answer a couple questions we sent him and also a statement from Jordan. Uh, congratulations to those two we both made it to the championship game, although it feels a little late to congratulate them because we are already a weekend, but uh, let's jump into it. So our first set, our first segment, as always, um, our biggest takeaways. Uh, this is going to be kind of a combination of the final week of the semifinals and the uh, the first week of the championship game. Jerwin, why don't you give me your first big takeaway? Uh, this one is a bit of a cheat because it's it's um, a takeaway <laughs> and also a something to look for. Um, but Jordan has had his best week of the first two matchups in the first week. And for the championship this week, he is down going into the final week. So uh, my takeaway is that's a little bit uh, uncharacteristic of the team of destiny, but perhaps he is just saving his best for last. That could be my first takeaway. It has to do with last week. That is, um, sorry to point this out. I do feel a little bad about it, but I think it could be safe to say that Sam kind of managed his way out of a championship appearance. Um, now that's first. I want to clarify. That's no disrespect to Nick at all. That's not saying that like he's only here because Sam goofed. That's not true. Nick did a lot to manage his way to the championship game. He put together the lineup on the field. He put together the lineup on our virtual field that ultimately did win the matchup. Sam did not do the same. Um, the biggest thing I believe was he, uh, he had, believe it or not, he actually had two of these. One of them I don't believe was his fault. Um, so first, in the first week, he let me put in Max Scherzer, even though Scherzer was day-to-day. Uh, Scherzer did not start. Zero points from Scherzer. The next week... He didn't start Justin Verlander. And this is where the big swing kind of happened. Um, So he didn't start Verlander, right? Instead started Luis Garcia. Garcia, well, I should say he instead started Bavetta, but he did leave Garcia in his lineup. Garcia, actually, what ended up happening was the Astros did not have as many games that week. Garcia got pushed, but he got his start bumped back for Justin Verlander. So Garcia did not start the second week. So that was two weeks in a row that Sam left a player in his lineup that did not play. And uh, he got a zero both times. And that is significant because had he made only one of those switches, uh, he would have won. Um, He only lost by a couple points. And it's just not what you want to see. So that was my first takeaway. Definitely took more risks than I like. I said the Garcia one wasn't really his fault, but Verlander probably should have been in his lineup. But 
definitely a riskier approach than what what I would have done in the playoffs or what I think a lot of people we've seen. Uh, what was your second takeaway, Jeremy? Yeah, that's a perfect segue because that was pretty much mine. And I'll go even further because over the last week, Sam had the top score. So not only could he have won that matchup, but he would be up on Jordan by over 100 points going into the final week of the matchup, which, I mean, Jordan's Jordan's put up those kind of numbers so far uh, in in the playoffs, but... uh, would be very difficult even for the team of destiny to to overcome such a such a beating in the first week for sure for sure um so my second takeaway and this is one where this could have been my thing to watch for but i i had something constructive so i just moved it cuz you know whatever and that is that nick is blatantly spitting in the face of my monologue where I confessed that I had goofed up a couple times and started crappy pitchers because here is Nick. Despite that, those life lessons and that advice that I gave him on the podcast, here he is starting Hayden Wesneski of the Chicago Cubs in his lineup for the final week of the championship game, whom he picked up on waivers during the championship period. Now I get it. He has he's got he has had 16.2 points per game. But this is a guy. He's playing the Phillies. That's not easy. This is a guy who fits the bill as the crappy starting pitcher who could totally blow up your week. And he started he is a spark, so he at least has that going for him. But I can't help but feel a little bad that it I feel like my advice was completely ignored. I feel like uh, my my story fell on deaf ears. And, uh, well, we could only hope that this doesn't backfire because, I mean, I we can't say that I didn't tell him. I, I told you so, you know? So that was my takeaway. I'm calling it a takeaway because I did notice this uh, last week. So technically, this isn't a thing to watch for. This is a takeaway. My, ta- my takeaway is not is the, uh, the fact that I've been scored, not the fact that... Uh, not looking at how this pitcher does. Because regardless, Nick completely ignored my advice. And that's not something I'd like to see. Rude, honestly. But I mean, hey, he's got rolling the dice here in the championship. And uh, I mean, we have our opinions, but you got to respect it, I guess, at some point. That is true. They they both made it here. So obviously their, their lineup decisions have probably been a little better than uh, the ones that we've made <laughs> Matt Manning. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that moves us to our next segment. And this one is one where it's going to be a little newer. Um, we're going to give the floor to our championship uh, contenders. Uh, so first we're going to go, we're going to have Nick. Um, now just to let us let everybody know the questions that we sent. Um, so we did send them questions. We did this last year. We sent them to Nick and Mike. Um, just for them to answer, they either submit their answers or they could record themselves submitting them. Nick opted to record, but here are the here are the questions that we asked. So the first one is, are there any strategies that you credit most for your success this season? Uh, second is, which player or players have been most critical for your success down the stretch? Um, I bet we know the answer to this one. Which player in your starting lineup for this upcoming week are you least confident in for the championship matchup? 
And then we have, we asked them, what is your official prediction for the matchup? And where are you putting the trophy if you win? So we're going to toss it over to the recording of Nick. This is not live. Uh, so here it is. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Nick here for the Freedom All-Stars, making a second consecutive appearance in the championship. So pretty excited. Facing off against Jordan. Uh, let's tackle the questions here. First question, I believe, has something to do with what was the most effective strategy that contributed to my success this year? And um, I was just looking back on some things I did earlier in the year that helped spring my team forward to the top of the standings and kind of hold steady there. And I saw two things, kind of two trends, was buying early, so making trades to sell off some of my top-end keepers and getting more depth and getting high, you know, high quality talent of pieces that weren't necessarily the best keepers and doing that early on, trying to do that before other teams did. And then also taking a shot on rookies and I hit on some upside with a few of them that I can think about. But going back to that strategy of buying early, I pinpointed three deals that I did fairly early on that uh, I would say most of all of them or probably all three of them paid off. The very first one with Mike was O'Neill Cruz and Shohei Otani for Ronald Acuna and Edwin Diaz was what it essentially came down to. And I got Acuna, which he's just basically been a solid play. He's not, he hasn't been a difference maker, so he didn't really give me great value. But Edwin Diaz, he's the number five overall relief pitcher and the number one overall traditional closer. So having him, somebody I can just plug and play in my RP position, not really think about, um, has been nice. And then the second deal... I pinpointed was trading Seiya Suzuki, Mackenzie Gore, and Aaron Ashby. Uh, this was at a time when Mackenzie Gore was really doing well, and Ashby still had um, just a lot of value to his name, and Suzuki still was kind of this unknown surprise uh, of what he would become, if it would be good or not so good, which I guess it tended to be not so good so far. But those three traded to Scott for Emmanuel Class A and Aaron Nola, uh, this one really panned out well just over time for my team. Aaron Nola being the number 12 overall starting pitcher on the year and Emmanuel Class A being the number six overall relief pitcher and the number two traditional closer. So having the number one, number two traditional closers on my team with uh, Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Class A. Again, two guys I can set and forget every time. Uh, and I actually had two other relief pitchers I can set and forget traditional closers every time with Jordan Romano and Ryan Helsley. So I guess that could be a third strategy was going after the top traditional closers right away rather than, you know, what we tend to value more, trying to hit on some sparps. I didn't, I guess, really hit on any sparps, but it did hit on the relief pitching I acquired. Um, and going back to buying early strategy, I also traded Mike Carlos Rodon, one of the top keepers in the league, and got Julio Urias and Trey Turner. I think this one worked out well on both sides. Well, it could have worked out better for Mike if he kept Rodon. But Rodon's a number 10 overall starting pitcher, Julio Urias. He's kind of on a downward trend whenever I made this deal. So I took uh, just took a little bit of a gamble trying to acquire him and also getting Trey Turner help. But Julio, Julio Urias um, has been the number 14 overall starting pitcher. So Rodon, number 10, Urias, number 14. Not really losing any value there in the starting pitching spot. And then Trey Turner has been the number two overall second baseman, number one shortstop. So uh, that helps a lot having him. So those are the three deals that really paid off buying early. I also mentioned taking a shot on rookies was another good strategy, which I'm going to 
briefly talk about one of those rookies here with this next question of which players have contributed to uh, my team's success throughout the year. Um, of course, I wanted to say Shane McClanahan throughout the year. He was just such a stud. He hasn't been doing too well lately, but he's definitely one I'd mention on the pitching side. But then Michael Harris, taking a shot on him, rookie um, just off waiver wire. He has really come on to his own, playing extremely well throughout this year. I don't think I really need to speak much more about him. We're all very aware of how, how much success he's had. I think he's been the number six overall as, in terms of uh, average points a game, center fielder, which I'll take that every day off uh, the waiver wire. Um, so Michael Harris has been a big one, uh, taking a shot on a rookie. And then lately, uh, I also just want to give a shout-out to – shout-out like he's listening. But another good rookie that I, I was high on just learning about, and he's been doing pretty well. Uh, down the stretch now that he's been healthy, Vinny Pasquantino. I just like his uh, plate discipline. Doesn't really give you negative points. And uh, I think he's been paying off for my team as of late. So that was kind of a combination of answering question two while going back to question one uh, with one of the strategies that paid off, taking a shot on rookies. Uh, Question three, I think, I don't have them in front of me, but I think it's what or who is a player in your current championship lineup that you're unsure about. Uh, Going into the first week of the matchup, it was definitely Jordan Romano, who's been steady all year, but then coming in um, to the championship matchup, he almost nearly took my team down in the semis against Sam, having that blown save plus loss uh, on the final day. Literally, I think I barely won, uh, maybe just by a few points, and his his doing almost did it it in for my team, so I was pretty unsure about him. Funny thing, he did pretty well in the first week of the championship matchup. Uh, in the second week, the player I'm most unsure about is actually a player I subbed in for him going into the second and final week, a rookie pitcher, Hayden Wesneski for the Cubs. has been pitching really well. He's a spark guy. Um, I'm just not sure if I want him or Romano, two guys I'm unsure about. I might end up switching them back out and putting Romano back in. I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, and then the final question, where would you put champ the trophy if you won the championship well it's been my house all year it's rotated spots around the house at times i have to say it has been in the closet to protect it away from away from my daughter so she didn't knock it down or you know damage it at all but i'll probably put it uh if i were to get it back from jake uh i'll probably put it maybe in the garage for a while um that would be the spot but anyways it's been a fun year fun championship against jordan i really think it's a coin toss who's going to win. It's uh, been pretty even so far. So good luck to him. And it's been fun uh, playing this year with you all. All right. Now we did not have, in case anybody didn't know, Jordan recently got married. Uh, So he was not available to record his answers. Um, He was too busy on his honeymoon. I know. I know it's, it's like fantasy baseball doesn't even matter to him. Embarrassing. Yeah, for real. But he did send a statement that he asked me to read. So this is from the desk of the dean. Yes, it's me, the dean, the real dean, the one true dean, defeater of all wannabe deans. We have made our way to the championship round. As I write this on Wednesday, September 7th, three days into a 14-day matchup, I regret being able to join you on the podcast to show why I am going to win the title as I am on my honeymoon. However, I already know I am advancing to play for my first ever 
Low Expectations League Championship. We have done copious amounts of research to prepare for this moment, but the job is not done. There is more research to be had. I have 28 men ready to go to ace their reports. The risky pitching staff will continue to take risks and will continue to succeed. Jordan Montgomery, the star of the second half, Shane Bieber and Robbie Ray, the forces of the risky staff, Alex Manoa, Alex Manoa, the risky deadline acquisition, also Alec Manoa. They will come ready to play. The championship will be won on the backs of the riskiest players, not the safest players. As I write this, I do not know my opponent, but Nick and Sam are not ready for their final exams and will surely fail their class at the Institute. And when they do, I, the Dean, will smile as I see my name engraved on the trophy sitting on my desk at work. Yours truly, Jordan Walk, Dean, retired general. A work of art. A truly moving statement. I don't know who Alex Manoa is, but he's probably ready to play. Maybe he's just another one of those uh, super risky picks. Probably. The, it doesn't look like he started it up, but, you know, probably a, probably a clubhouse force for, for the research. Arguably the riskiest pick, if I may, because he might not even play baseball. True. Very true. All right. So that's going to move us to our next segment. And we're going to go into a little bit of a deep dive in each matchup. Um, so we're going to start with a third place game. And that is Sam versus Nate. Um, and we decided to split this up since Jerwin is the captain of positivity. We're going to do a bit of a good cop, bad cop thing where Jerwin is going to give all the positive answers to build everybody up. And I'm going to give the negative answers to tear everyone down. So we'll start with you. Give us, and we're, we're at the third place game, just as a reminder. Give us your surprise performer or the MVP of the third place game so far. Well, there were a few people to pick from, from both teams, I think. Um, but I, I think I just got to go with the highest score from, from week one, the deadline acquisition, or at least close to the deadline acquisition, uh, Pete Alonzo with 46 points for Nate. Uh, it was a, uh, a tough scene again for Nate having a good week, but getting absolutely obliterated in week one by Sam's lineup. But Pete Alonzo with the week that he had certainly, certainly keeping the hopes alive. That is true. Now for the least valuable player or the dud of the week, Paul Goldschmidt, who has been absolutely terrible with negative 0.1 points. He's been a little, just a smidge worse than a zero. But worse than that, he, he, this is the guy we're supposed to look at as the favorite for the National League MVP. And I'll tell you what, he has not been the MVP of these playoffs, at least for the third place game. Um, he's been terrible. Um, he had four hits and 22 at bats, uh, only one extra base hit, one walk to seven strikeouts. He's done absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, the, ironically, Pete Alonso is on Nate's team along with Paul Goldschmidt. So, really, they're just they're almost canceling each other out. 
Uh, Paul Goldschmidt has been pretty rough, and this is a guy who's supposed to be the cornerstone of the offensive lineup, and he's just been pooping the bed. Excuse my language. <laughs> so that moves us to the – and I, I, I named this the David Freese out of nowhere unsung hero of the matchup which is basically just a player we kind of didn't expect to go off. Who's maybe like in the scrub territory. We don't know who he is, but man, he's, he showed up with a, a top tier playoff performance. So Jerwin, who is the David Freese out of nowhere unsung hero of the matchup? I think I'm going to give it to Brian Reynolds, 36 points for Sam this week, really big week for the season that Brian Reynolds has had. Uh, on the year, Brian Reynolds only averaging 2.3 points, uh, 2.5 over the last uh, month, but the last seven days averaging 5.3 points. So uh, really coming through for this this third place, trying to trying to get Sam his money back here. Uh, and um, worth noting, like Brian Reynolds is ha- does have some keeper value. So. I mean, maybe maybe this is a sign that he's going to turn things around and have some uh, significant value for, for next year in the draft. One thing I forgot to add to the itinerary, and I'm just going to get now, it's the other side of that, which is the goon, why the heck did you start him play of the week? And that is Gavin Lux, who is Nate's second baseman for this matchup period. 0.5 points. Um, what are we doing here? Why was he in the lineup? I don't, I don't get it, but uh, yeah, he's been pretty bad um, and he's been pretty bad for a while. So it's not even like one of those hot hand plays over the last month, 3.8 fantasy points. It's not what you want to see out of a starter in the playoffs. So why is he here? So that is all for our first matchup. And now we will move to our main event, the championship matchup. We're going to go through all these again. Jerwin. Who is the surprise performer MVP so far? Uh, this one is tough. I can tell you one thing. It's not Alex Manoa. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking at the scores now because no crap. I couldn't, I couldn't decide slash didn't look. You know what? I I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with Shane Bieber, because as we remember, uh, so Shane Bieber had 22 points this week. I I believe just the one start, 7.2 innings, two earned runs, and a win. Um, But the reason I pick Shane Bieber for this is because, as we remember, uh, the Shane for Shane trade way back early in the season. Uh, and Shane Bieber has been coming through in the playoffs and still coming through here in the first first round for Jordan of the championship. Uh, meanwhile, Shane McClanahan, the other Shane in the trade, has been limping across the finish line of his what some thought might be a Cy Young year. So uh, I think it can be said that, you know, maybe over the course of the full season, Shane McClanahan might have, you know, 
amounted to more wins, got Nick in a better position. But certainly, I think during the playoffs, given McClanahan's injuries and his struggles, Shane Bieber has been the winning side of that trade. That's a perfect segue into the into the uh, the dud of the week because mine is Shane McClanahan or Payne McClanahan for how much pain he's caused Nick over this last week. Negative thirteen points, uh, nine innings pitched, nine earned runs. You hate to see it. More walks than strike, more walks than strikeouts. Lost both his matchups. They were tough matchups. One was against the Toronto Blue Jays, the other against the Houston Astros. But that's no excuse. Playoffs are not the time for failure, especially among your studs. And uh, Shane McClanahan has fallen flat on his face coming off the injured list. Um, I don't think it was a guarantee that I didn't think it was a guarantee that he should be in Nick's lineup this upcoming week just because of how bad he's been uh, since returning from injury. And man, he has another tough match. He's only one more start at the end of the year. I don't really think that he's going to. I mean, if he has one more after that, it'll probably be a shorter one. Um, but yeah, he's uh, it's against the Astros again, so it's not the schedule's not going to get any easier for him. But yeah, McClanahan is my dud of the week. Just not been great uh, in this in this championship matchup. So let's move to the David Freeze out of nowhere unsung hero of the matchup for the championship. Jarwin, who do you have? I'm going to go with uh, Blake Snell here. Now, he's a guy who's he's been around, former Cy Young winner, former uh, like top-end keeper in this league, but he's been a guy who's been so up and down this year, last year, and uh, it's so hard to tell if he's going to pull through for you, but he went seven innings in his start, 13 strikeouts and a win for 35 points for Nick in week one of the championship. You gotta, you gotta tip your hat to him. He, uh, you know, he, he had the week of the year for Blake Snell when it counted. So there he is. Blake Snell, you mean the Blake Snell that had to get it? our dynasty team last year, five points, and then didn't get out of the first inning. That one. I do mean that Blake Snow. And that's why, that's why when he gets 35 points in your championship matchup, like you gotta, you gotta, uh, you know, count your blessings. Cause that obviously doesn't always happen. Very true. By the other side to that, this one was a tough one. Cause there weren't actually many duds that they really put in their lineups. Um, but I chose Yadier Molina as the crappy start here. And that's Jordan's catcher for the first week of the matchup. Not really something, not really great. I mean, he had, he got 1.1 points. And I think the bigger thing is he only got six at bats. So like what's going on here, but I mean, when you can get anything out of a catcher, that's kind of a blessing, but like you want more than 1.1 points out of like, surely there was someone better, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not as egregious as uh, Gavin Lux in the last one, I don't think, but, and there weren't really many 
lineup decisions here that I, I had questioned. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're Molina. I, I guess you could say I'm, I'm sure Jordan picked. I'm sure because I'm looking at it, Jordan picked up waivers for this matchup, started him, and it's not going well, probably because he was on waivers up until now, and he was bad. Uh, so that, that's all for our matchup breakdowns. Um, we're going to go into matchup preview. Jerwin, give me your thing to watch for. So instead of going with the who's going to win the championship, which everyone is going to be watching for, I'm actually interested to see uh, it what what Nate ends up doing. I mean, he's down 100 points, but I think if I'm him in his position, I don't mind finishing fourth and having the best shot at the first overall pick for next season because I, I think I mentioned it on the last episode, but he's got a pretty decent keeper pool going into next year, I think. And if he couples that with a, a first overall pick, he, we could be talking about a, a strong Nate team again, uh, maybe a month ago this time next year. If, if you can do the, the calendar math on that. But yeah, so uh, watching for Nate, not so much just this week, but over the off season and for the start of next year. I'll I'll tell you why later that I disagree with that. But I would I would rather finish third and pick near the back of the draft myself. But uh, my thing to watch for is pitchers being shuffled, and we're getting we are at the very end of the year. There's at this point a little over a week left. Um, maybe like eight days. I think it ends on Wednesday, but I'm not positive. At this point, the teams that are in the playoffs are probably looking to realign their rotation to get it how they want in the playoffs. We've seen that already with Max. Max Fried's gotten pushed back from, uh, I believe it would have been tonight, to Friday. Uh, and this gave him extra rest, but it also helped align him for the playoffs. This is not going to be the only time this happens. Um, you're going to see a lot more teams do this. They're just going to shuffle to get them how they want for uh, their upcoming playoff series. You also have some teams that are tanking. You might have young pitchers in their rotation that are, they just are like, okay, well, this is kind of a throwaway game. Let's just not have him pitch. You're going to see that too. Uh, even among teams that are um, not in the, just the, in general, you're going to see younger pitchers maybe their start skipped or maybe just uh, get pushed back a day. So they only get one more start or whatever. Between those two things, that is a lot of pitchers on a lot of teams. And uh, we're going to start to see, we're, I think we're going to start to see that. Um, we're at the point where you, you can see the end of the, you can see the end of the tunnel and teams can kind of plan. Like there's no more, planning, okay, what if this guy gets hurt? Like, there's just the end of the tunnel here, and you're, you're, you're going to realign your rotation. You're going to give guys rest, and you can only hope that uh, your pitchers don't get victimized, basically. So that's my thing to watch for, which is pitchers being shuffled. And now, if you listen closely, you can hear the cheers among the people as we bring back the comeback meter Yes, it is back. Uh, yeah, everybody's everybody's cheering this fan favorite segment that we almost didn't have if we would have recorded on time. So 
but thankfully we didn't, and it is back. So the comeback ometer has returned. Uh, just to not that I need to tell anyone because everybody loves this segment, but if we could, the scale of the meter of the comeback ometer is a one towards that end. That is, they should surrender. They're wasting everyone's time. Uh, the the comeback is not going to happen. Whereas on the other side, a 10, 9, somewhere in there, the comeback is assured. This part, the person who is behind is arguably the favorite moving forward. So that's how the comeback meter works. Uh, so we're going to start with the third place game where Nate is, finds himself behind. Um, he's As of, I guess this would have been coming into today, he was down 100.7 points. Erwin, give me a number. I think I'm going to give him about, well, I didn't see what he was doing with his lineup this week, but I, uh, I'll, I'll leave that out of the analysis. Assuming he started a real fantasy baseball team, uh, I'm going to give him a two, I think, because I, I think that's what I gave him last time against Jordan, and that feels like the, the right range. Uh, so... We'll, uh, we'll see if I was right. I, Nate doesn't strike me as the guy to tank for fourth, but. I mean, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to tank for fourth either, but I'm going to give him a little higher. I'm going to go, I'm going to go three. Um, again, triple digits is very tough to come back from, but I uh, believe Nate has a lot of volume again, despite losing Spencer Strider. Uh that he, if Strider was playing, that would maybe bump me up to a four, but even that's that seems kind of high for a triple digit uh deficit. But I'm gonna give him a three, still think the team's really good, and uh, yeah, definitely gonna give him a shot. Sam's team is very up and down too, so I'm wondering if maybe this is maybe this is a week where uh, maybe if it's just a down week for Sam, then that that could they could definitely make up some points. That is true, Sam, Sam could. Sam has the team that could give up a hundred point lead. I think uh, contrasting some of the the other teams that we've we've seen this playoffs who had a hundred point leads. All right, so that brings us to this one. This is the first time that Jordan has appeared on the comeback ometer. He is down twenty six point five points. Jerwin, what's the number? Normally, normally, I think I would probably say like an eight or a nine because, I mean, you're down points. Nick has a really good team, but I'll admit it. I'm incredibly biased in this matchup. Jordan's my boy. I've been repping the research all year. I really want to see it happen for him. I'm going to give him a 10 out of 10 on the comeback meter 26.5 down. Uh, as of today, uh, not not even a chance for Nick. Uh, he's got a great team. He had a great year, and uh, a far cry from the the quote unquote lucky season he had last year, and the incredible playoff run he had. Uh, much more much more consistent throughout the year, and uh, but I, I'm gonna give it to Jordan because team of destiny. He did the research. He he earned it. This is this is it. This is it. It's happening. Just a bonus piece of league history. There, so far, the comeback meter is technically undefeated in that 
nobody who has appeared on the comeback meter has ever actually come back. Does this sway your decision at all? Not at all, I believe. Okay. I'm going to get I'm going to go lower, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with a seven, maybe six and a half. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna kind of float between those two points. So that would be 6.75. So that's my number, 6.75. Um, this is a tough one because I think ultimately, like this, it's close enough where it could just come down to one start. Um, I think when you're where when you're at fewer than 30 points, um, and we're also at the point of the year where I, I know that we looked at if you look at the fan tracks projections, you can see they they have the starts lined up. I don't know how much that actually matters because the, the numbers for both teams have already changed twice. And I'm talking about the number of starting pitchers that are projected to be uh, in play this upcoming week. Um, there's still, I think, more shuffling to be had. So I don't know how much you can necessarily trust that all the starters who are projected to be starting are actually going to start. Uh, so it, it, I, I think in that, if that's the case, I think there's more I think that it's more likely that it could break Jordan's way. He'd be able to cut, he'd be able to make up, make that up. Plus he's been really good for throughout the playoffs. Um, he's been much better. He's scored a lot more points than Nick up to this point. Um, so I like, I'm, and I say that to say that he has like, I just like he's done it. He's, he's outscored Nick by 30 multiple times throughout the playoffs. So it's, it's happened, but I don't think I could go more than, than 70 or than, 70 and then seven, just because uh, 30 points is still 30 points. That's still a pretty hefty amount that you're going to be like the head, the head that's still a pretty good head start on your opponent. Um, now I think that the extra days actually works in Jordan's favor because he has, and just as just in case any, nobody knew this, that it's not actually two weeks. It's more like two and a half weeks uh, for this whole matchup period. So we have like at, at this point about a little over a week left actually works in Jordan's favor because he has more time to make up the points. But ultimately it's I think it's going to come down to who plays and who doesn't. Um, and I, I, I am putting a lot of stock in uh, how rotations get lined up and that sort of thing. And like Nick's already been hurt by it one time. He's already been hurt by it once with freed moving back. Cause now freed will probably make, he might make one start instead of two that he would have made um, had he started today. But that is my thing. To, that is my, uh, my number, we're going to move on to the official prediction. And I guess you may have already spoiled this. Uh, who are you actually going to pick to win the matchup? If you had to place a bet on one of these teams, even odds, we're giving me even odds for this. Will Jordan make the comeback? Or will Nick win his second championship in a row? Yeah, I mean, it... it looks it looks worse for Jordan it looks like he's run out of steam and his streak of just blowing people out in the first week and just coasting to to win is over I mean obviously that streak is over but I I am gonna bet on Jordan I think he's got one more lights out week left in his team and this is this is gonna be the one I know everybody's been waiting for my official pick. Um, surprisingly, I am also going to go with Jordan because 
if we remember almost one year to the day, not really, but sort of almost, I picked Jordan to be the 2022 league champion. And I'm going to stick with that prediction from almost a year ago because I want to, and that's the only reason. So that maybe if, if he wins, maybe, maybe the intro for the next podcast will be me making that pick from a year ago. That'd be pretty cool. That would be fantastic. Yeah. We'll got to get we'll Eddie dig up the audio. We'll see to be determined. Now that moves us to our league history fact of the week. Um, and I wanted to highlight this one because this is arguably one of the, this is one of the better playoff matchups I think we've ever had. And that is the Nate versus Jordan matchup. Believe it or not, throughout their entire historic rivalry in our league, we've never gotten a playoff matchup between these two up until this point. And I think that it really lived up to the hype. This matchup was our highest scoring matchup ever with a grand total of 1,272.5 points scored. Despite the defeat, and this is where I'm, I'm definitely going to give Nate major props here, got very, got extremely unlucky. Nate's team can still hold his head high. This is the first time ever that somebody scored over 600 points in the playoffs and lost. And he has the ninth highest score in the play in playoff history. So he scored that highly and still lost. That's unheard of to this point. Man. Uh, Jordan scored in case we're wondering checks in at third highest all time in the playoffs from that matchup. But overall, both teams put their best foot forward, gave us a show, and this was definitely a playoff matchup for the ages. One that I think lived up to their historic rivalry, and uh, the next time they meet in the playoffs, they have a very high bar to clear because this was a this was a good one. This is a good one for sure. So that was our league history fact. Let's now move into news and notes. Um, so our first one, we are flying through this episode. My pacing is much better than it has been in the past. I'm getting, I am, I am evolving into an even more elite podcast host. First one, Ozzy Albies returned last week and he's gone. He, uh, promptly suffered a finger fracture, uh, the very next day and he's out for the rest of the regular season. This was a down season for Albies for sure. Um, he only played in 64 games and he played 2.4 points per game in those games. So much lower than he has in the past. Um, he's always been regarded as an elite fantasy asset, especially with second base kind of being one of the lighter hitting positions for the most part in league history. Uh, he was a second round pick this year. How much does his, does his down season this year uh, hurt his stock for next year? I think he, he, it's got to hurt him at least a little bit. I think a lot of fantasy managers are going to be scared to pick him up. Certainly in the second round, it's got to hurt like probably a round or two, maybe three or four. Um, I think he could be like a sneaky reach uh next year in the draft um depending on like you know how he looks in spring training that sort of stuff but i mean i think a risky pick probably but uh, certainly a bounce back candidate for next year 
Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said. I've never really been a crazy Albies guy myself, but um, he's one of those guys that actually like he might do better if he does if he stops switch hitting, which like his his splits are pretty wild, and uh, he might be one of the guys that would benefit if he would ever if he would ever stop switch hitting and just say I'm going to commit to I'm going to commit to the better side, uh, and I might be more interested, but. That's uh that's a different discussion. So let's move on to our next item. Wow, Albert Pujols is out double donging on Apple TV. Uh, Aaron Judge is still sitting on sixty home runs. Will he get to sixty one before the end of the season? Because it has been quite a while since his last homer. Uh, if we're using Aaron Judge standards, I feel like I feel like he's. I I think he will. I mean, there was a stretch there where we were wondering if he was going to get to 60 and then he got hot again. Uh, I'm going to say he will. He'll get he'll get that. He'll, he'll get another streak. I don't know about a streak, but he'll get at least another one before the season ends and maybe start a streak heading into the playoffs. That's that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I, mean, I hope he does. Um, man, he's been crazy this year, though. It's just. Have you, uh, I don't know, I think I show, sent it to you, but I don't know if anyone's seen the graphic of just all of the first places he's in and all of the different stat categories. It's like, uh, this isn't in the questions, but like I, I've thought about it and I'm sure plenty of people have thought and read and heard about it, but like him versus Shohei Otani, like, if Aaron judge finishes first place in like, I forget, it was like eight batting categories. Um, if any, if any year is going to outdo the amazing stuff that Shohei Otani does, it's this year for Aaron judge. Yeah. Judge would be my pick for MVP. I mean, I think that like the, the argument that the pitching, and it is a little more impactful than the, than just, using war as the argument because like judges war is higher than the combined, the combined pitching and hitting war of Otani. Like that's just, that's probably the only metric to impact to measure impact that we actually have. And it still says the judge is more impactful and has been more valuable than Otani has. I mean, it doesn't, I'm not saying like war is not the end all be all by any means. Um, I think it's just really the only, the only way that we have, the only thing we have to actually measure that, and judges has been higher. This is the yeah. thing item, though. Um, not that the MVP race is not interesting, but uh, Judge rejected a seven-year, two hundred thirteen million dollar extension with the Yankees um, this this past off season. Uh, he bet on himself, and it looks like he will be handsomely rewarded for his decision. Do you think he will stay with the Yankees, or will he move to a new team? Because he is going to be the undisputed top free agent this offseason. Cool. I, I really don't know. I don't know what the Yankees budget really looks like because they've got a lot of money. They have a lot of money, but they're also spending a lot of money still and a lot of money. I don't know if like Chapman's contract is up. I don't know if they still have to pay him. Um yeah, they've got a lot of money tied up in, in different places. So I don't know if they are going to be able or willing to pay for what 
Judge is going to go for. I, I I feel like another team should be able to outbid the Yankees for him. If you had to guess who that team would be, who would who would be your your top guess? Gosh, I I have no idea what what teams are are really in the market for that. Um, man, I mean the nationals come to mind just because they didn't get Soto on a big deal. They might have some cash to spend. I know the Braves were talking about spending more. They can, I can be name a, team. a couple teams. Yeah, go um, for it. I know that the Giants have been linked to free agent um the free agent outfielders a couple years a couple years in a row. Um they were contenders for Harper. Uh they were content they wanted to trade for Stanton um back when he was coming off of his MVP season with the Marlins. Um, This is the most intriguing one to me, though, and that's the Mets because they have so much money and Judge is already a face in New York. Can you imagine the meltdown that the Yankees fans would have if Aaron Judge went to the Mets that I would same. I would be so happy. See, first of all, how do they I don't have that know. much money? They have like I guess Degrom and Scherzer, and then like who else are they paying? Really, they have a lot of okay. They have a lot of money tied up, but they are their owner is the the richest owner in the entire league, like by far. There is they had to make a rule, like an extra level of the luxury tax. To account for how much money they think he's going to spend. <laughs> Good he, on him. Yeah, like he is not afraid to say to uh, to throw around cash. Like despite the fact, like Degrom's like, going to be a free agent. Um, I think he's already said he's going to opt out, but I would not be surprised if they re-sign him and they still. I, that I don't see them signing Degrom and having that be what prevents them from signing Judge. Like I just don't see that. They have Scherzer. They have Lindor tied up. Um, I don't know. I don't remember when Carrasco comes off the books. Bassett does come off the books this upcoming year. Um, I don't think he was making too much anyways, but um, they won't have to worry about paying him anymore. Um, I don't believe they extended Alonzo yet. That's probably something they're going to have to do soon. But can you imagine if Judge goes to the the Mets? Just the 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 outrage that would come from the Yankees. Truly beautiful. See, I don't know, though, because I am of the mindset that I would like players who are the faces of their teams to stay with those teams. Like, I look at the Dodgers lineup and I get mad because Freddie Freeman, that's what he's a brave. Mookie Betts, he's a Red Sox or Red Sox, I guess. Trey Turner, I, I, I see him as a national. And I get that's not how baseball works, but, you know, like those guys all came up with other organizations and now they're just on the Dodgers because they, the Dodgers can pay them and the Dodgers have the, the ability to, to buy all these players. And I get that they traded for some of them, but I mean, they were only, they only traded for them because they were able, they were, they were, they were basically salary dumps. And uh, yeah, I, I am, I would rather the, the players stay with the team, especially a homegrown guy like Aaron judge even though it's the Yankees, I would rather him stay with the Yankees. Like I, I just see him as the face of the Yankees. Like 
now that Freddie Freeman is in Los Angeles as a Dodger, he's just kind of been another guy. I feel like we haven't really heard or seen as much of him. And part of that is because he now plays at 10 o'clock at night and I don't stay up that late, but it's also now that he's on a team with a bunch of other, other guys like him and there's no, I don't know. I'm just, I just like, I like the guys that are, that stay with the team that they came up with. And I get that's not how it is. I get that just certain teams have more money than other teams and that's just how it happens. But I don't know. I would rather, I think I would rather him stay with the, I would rather him stay with the Yankees than if he than go to the Mets or some other team. Just like I would rather have anybody who comes up with another team stay with that team because it's like there's some guys that are just faces of teams and that's what I like I see them on that team I don't want them to be on to be somewhere else I no, I, I think that's I think that's all totally fair and I understand completely I just want all of the bad things to happen to the Yankees and that kind of trumps my my love for the uh the simpler things of the game and uh I am I am team Mets like Anything bad that happens to the Yankees, I'm okay with. Like, I get it. We can all agree Dodgers bad because they just have spent so much money and no consequences. They just have a good team forever. But the Yankees, they haven't had the success of late to really justify it, but they're still the villains of the league as far as I'm concerned, and they should remain as such and – more lack of success is good by me. Speaking of bad things happening to the Yankees, Frankie Montas was placed on the injured list with shoulder inflammation. This is the second trip to the IL for a shoulder issue this year, and he was pretty bad since coming to the Yankees. But my only question for this news item, is he a tier three keeper yet? First elite segue, well done, keeping us moving. Second, I will take a victory lap on this one. I know the IL stint is like a, uh, an after-the-fact sort of thing, but I was right about Montas, and I stand on that. The Yankees, and I, I, is this really – you can tell me that one of the reasons I hate the Yankees is because you have so much history with them trading for pitchers that then get traded to the Yankees and are immediately terrible. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that I should have mentioned that before. Picking up in fantasy baseball, a pitcher who gets traded to the Yankees has ruined my life on multiple occasions. I think it was James Paxton and what was the other one? Sonny Gray, I think, was maybe he was a, a different one, but it was at least one other pitcher. And Frankie Montas, just another name on the list of of guys who go to the Yankees and their career is ended, even though you tried to pick them up as a good keeper. Yeah, I, I that, that was the reason I thought your your hatred of the Yankees was was there was because you this is this is personal for you. With I mean, I mean, I hate. I, I hate the Yankees for the same reasons everyone hates the Yankees, but now that you bring it up, like, absolutely, absolutely, that's a big reason. I, like, I'm having such PTSD right now. That was, that was just the worst things that happened to me in this league. Aside from all the bad decisions I've made, that was just bad luck, and it's all the Yankees' fault. Yeah, just to clarify, people can start their career on the Yankees, and that's totally fine. Absolutely. 
But if you go there, if you get traded there, then that's where the trouble starts. That's where career, you're in trouble. Career ending. It's it's like a quarterback going to Cleveland at any point in their life, or like an all-star, uh, like a super world-class soccer player coming to the MLS. It's where you go to end your career. Darwin, this is America. Nobody cares about soccer. Uh, I know, but the metaphor works. <laughs> let's move on to the uh, to our last news item, and this one is a little outdated because I wrote this last week when we were supposed to be recording. But I think I think it still works, and uh, the overall conversation will still be good. Juan Soto has been in a crazy funk since being traded to the Padres. His power has seemingly completely vanished, although it has picked up a little bit this past week. Uh, he's still hitting under 200 since joining the Padres, um, and his slugging percentage is still very low. Uh, his complete collapse has kind of come out of nowhere. Um, I think that we've always kind of viewed Soto as being one of the safest fantasy investments you can make, mostly because his plate discipline is outstanding. Uh, but I think his second half definitely makes his valuation for next year maybe a little cloudy. Um, he was the clear top hitter coming into this year for points leagues, at least in my opinion. I, I think that opinion was shared with most people with that he was the clear top guy. And I don't know that, that I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. Um, do you think he still should be in the conversation though, to be the top hitter selected next year? Or do you think that he's slipped from that like top, we'll say like the top three hitters or maybe, no, let's, let's go with, um, since he has been in that conversation, should he still be like, if I have the top pick, should Juan Soto be on, be on my board? I think so. If you had, if we had recorded the podcast when we had promised we would record the podcast, I think my answer might have been different. But he has had a bit of a bounce back week over the last week. Um, still not great overall, but I mean, uh, the the numbers you had on the itinerary originally was he was batting. 135 uh, forgive me for being a pleb but slash lines the middle one is on base percentage right that is correct okay uh so he's batting 135 but he's he still has an on base percentage over 300 which is more than most people like bat in in a season and it's the the fact that he has that elite plate discipline and given our league format and how much it punishes strikeouts uh, he has to be in the conversation still and you almost have to see this as a blip on the radar I think a lot of guys who I, I think it happens more if you're like changing leagues and stuff, but maybe even with divisions, like if you move out of your division and you're playing against different pitchers regularly, there's going to be an adjustment period. Um, And I, I, I feel like he's shown that he's been able to make that adjustment this past week. And It'll be interesting to see if he continues to to show that he's made an adjustment, but I think he's that was a super long way of saying yes, he should still be in the conversation, and I I think I would still go with him 
just because he's so safe and his floor is so high compared to so many other like high end batters in the league. That's interesting because I I would have thought that you would that I mean I think he slipped a little bit for me. I don't I don't know. I don't know what I would do because the, and then this is I'm going to call back to earlier when I said that I disagreed with you that I think that Nate should have tanked. I would rather pick at the back of the draft personally because I think that at least standing here now looking ahead to 2023, I don't think there's a clear top pick. It seems there's a bunch of guys that are kind of jammed together um that are very similar. And I don't know that I, I, I don't, at this point, I don't know that there's really much difference between picks. Like I'm going to give a number maybe like one through five, one through even maybe one through eight. Is there really that much of a difference between those guys, especially among the hitters there? Um, I guess I'm going to, I guess we can go, we can kind of go through this um, and I'll give just a couple different names. And you can tell me whether you would have Juan Soto ahead or behind them. Um, and I'm going to give just a couple early round, early round names who we would consider maybe probably first round picks for next year. And I get it. Like I'm going to, the first name I'm going to give is Aaron judge. I know that Courtney's probably going to keep judge as a first rounder next year, but I'm still going to include him in this conversation for the, just the purposes of comparing them. So Aaron judge. Uh, I think I'm going to go with, Juan Soto over Aaron Judge. I, I think Aaron Judge is like a prime candidate to like get his money and then fall off. Like I, I don't think he's I, he's probably still going to be a first rounder. Uh, I think, but I don't think he's going to repeat the year that he's had. Um, and like I, I I saw an article. I forget if this was like in the group chat. So forgive me if I'm repeating information, but an article about, you know, how many guys have gotten huge contracts like Pujols and Miguel Cabrera and, and all those guys, massive contracts, and then the team ends up regretting it because they're old and they start regressing like almost immediately. And like those guys were unbelievably elite their entire career and judge has had like one truly elite year. He's been great, obviously, but it, this is by far his best uh, to earn the money. But I, I don't think he's, he's a number one overall pick for me, despite the year that he's had. Man, that's a really, that's a really bold call. <laughs> I mean, he scored, oh, he scored about 170 more points than Soto has this season. And he's outpacing him on a um, on a points per game average uh, by a full by over a full point. Yeah, I mean, good for him. He's having a great year. I, I'm gonna bet on Soto next year, starting fresh, though. Man, I guess I guess this probably won't be as interesting that if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna take Soto. I mean, it sounds like you're taking Soto first overall, so you would take him ahead of. Uh, Jose Ramirez, Freddie Freeman. Um, trying to think of some other names off the top of my head. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, I know, will be in that conversation. Mookie Betts, Trey Turner. You take him ahead of all those guys. All of those guys, by the way, are having better years than Monsanto, just to get that out of the way. 
uh, a few of those guys, maybe like Ramirez because of the third base eligibility. Um, I guess Trey Turner's not going to have second base and shortstop next year, right? Like, I think it's just, just be shortstop. shortstop. Yeah. Um, a few of those guys, I, I think, are still in that conversation for me. Maybe I'm just like, I'm, I, I know I'm being bold, like being a bit low on judge for next year. And like, I, I haven't done draft prep yet at all. Maybe my answer will change come next March, but um, I think a few of those guys are are in the conversation. Whereas before the the season that Soto's had and the really rough stretch in San Diego, like they wouldn't be in the conversation. It'd just be Soto. But um, yeah, I, I think I'm just lower on Judge, just as a, a as a gut feeling for the most part. Yeah, I I don't know if I agree. Um, again, I think this is why I would rather pick near the back because I don't really see much of a difference now between, like I, I'd probably rather have Judge than Freddie Freeman, for instance, but there's not really a huge gap there. So if Judge's ADP is first overall and Freeman's isn't until like, I don't know, like 10, like what why do I care which, which one I have? I'd rather pick 10 so I get a better guy coming back. That's kind of where I am with this first round, at least looking ahead. They're just, especially among the hitters, it doesn't seem like there's one guy that really sticks out too much more than the rest. Like I'm looking at like, so just to name a couple, I think I named, so we had Judge, Soto, Ramirez, I named Betts, Turner, and Freeman. A couple other guys I could put in there. Um, and these are just, I'm talking purely, purely redraft, but uh, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper are probably still in that conversation. Paul Goldschmidt, um, Manny Machado's had a very good year. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, honestly, I think he should probably be a first rounder next year. Like, I think he's a first round caliber bat. He won't be an mm-hmm. and it'll keep him, but he is a, I believe he's a first round caliber bat. Ronald Acuna could turn it around. Maybe not tier one keeper Julio Rodriguez breaks out. I mean, like, there's just, there's a lot. I wouldn't put Rodriguez with that group, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of hitters that all seem very, very similar. And I don't think that like, I don't don't think that picking early, like in the top three, you're going to get a guy that's really that much better than a guy that you're picking, like in the last three picks, like maybe we'll say like eighth to 10th. I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I I think I agree with a lot of that, but at the end of the day, I think I'm, still a believer in Soto as like I, I maybe you agree with this like I wouldn't blame someone for taking Soto first overall next year or at least as the first overall batter next year like maybe a couple pitchers go before that because like you said like hitters like early round hitters aren't as separated maybe as they've been in the past but I I I would still understand. And I, I think that's where the debate really lies is like, is he, is he still in the conversation? Yes. And, you know, maybe he has a really good final stretch to the season and like kind of dismisses our, our, um, I can't even think of the word right now, uh, not believing in him, 
but uh, disbelief. There we go. <laughs> uh, like yeah, being I, uh, down on him, I guess. So I guess what would your thoughts be then on draft position then? Because for me coming into the year, um, remembering all the way back when we had our draft, the clear top two for me, and there was a I in my overall rankings, it was it went Soto, Ramirez, and then there was a teardrop. I guess I don't see I guess what I'm saying is I don't see it this way. I mean, at least as I'm sitting here now, going to next year where the guys at the top of the draft they probably aren't don't deserve to be in their own tier above guys maybe that I can get in that seven or eight spot, especially among like among hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't taking pitchers into account. Um, pitching's maybe, maybe we'll touch on this next week, but pitching has been kind of down. I feel like pitching overall has been kind of down this year in a way. Um, just it, they're kind of in the same situation where there hasn't really been like a couple clear top performers. I mean, there have been. But they are also, we also have to take into account that they are also, it's like Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, to name two of them, they're also ancient. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of its own thing where we're going to have to look at, okay, what are we going to do with the pitchers? Because I, I could also see ranking starting pitchers the top of the board, basically in any order. I could see that as well. But we'll we'll table that till next week. I just, I wanted to talk, I just wanted to focus on the hitters. Um, I know that it worked. We've kind of gone on this topic a long time, but do you have any final thoughts on just looking ahead to draft position for next year? No, I think I think we can uh, save some more conversation for the next episode. All right, and speaking of the next episode, that will definitely be next week, and we will have a third person on, and that will be either Jordan or Nick um, coming on to celebrate their championship. So that's all for us this week. Um, this is the second to last episode. It's, it's hard to believe that it's coming to an end this season. It's been a great year, not for me in particular, just with how it ended. But uh, I had fun along the way. Um, really, it's not about winners or losers. It's just fun versus fun. Jerwin, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't have the best year either, but you know, I'm I'm feeling really good about next year, and uh, things should be uh, things should be interesting for next season. For sure, for sure. So stay stay tuned next week. Um, we're going to we'll make our official predictions. Next week is also going to be a lot about uh, next year. Uh, like we did last year, we're going to reveal. We're going to have the big division reveals. And also, more importantly, we will do the draft order live um, for next season. Um, as we all know, it's a draft lottery, so we will do that live on the podcast. Um, and we we'll look forward to that. Um, but that's all for us this week. Uh, we will talk to everyone next week. Thanks for listening.